Good morning guys, it's Chris here, aka Big Meaty Cool. Just thought I'd use my real name for a change. So, you may have noticed that Acceptable in the 90s came back two weeks ago, after I'd said about a month ago that I was going to take some time out for my family, uh, obviously with my wife's cancer diagnosis. And that was my intention, I was going to make things a lot longer than they were. The whole thing was, I had pre-recorded a lot of episodes so I put a little gap on those to put them out just so you had something to go on and to be perfectly honest in the last well I suppose it's been six weeks now my wife and I have been having a lot of chats and things about kind of coping mechanisms and how things are going and what have you and she was very honest with me she said while she feels the kids and she feels that herself both feel very looked after at the moment and that I am putting their priorities first. She was very honest with me and she said, basically, I'm not the same when I don't have a distraction, basically. So for that reason, and it's for the right reasons, I promise, guys, I'm not doing this because I feel some internal pressure to come back and have you hear the sound of my voice. Acceptable in the 90s is back obviously. So yeah, we've got a great few episodes to crack on with. I thank everybody for their messages of support. Uh, Rob and Dan, obviously, and Danny's reached out and a few other people as well. Far too many to mention, which I feel really blessed and lucky about. So thank you guys. I love you all. The next time there's a meetup, you bet your sweet little behind I'll be there. And um, if I'm feeling flush, the first beer is on me. But yeah, let's crack on with some wrestling action, shall we? From inside the pages of the WWF magazine, here's Update. Hello everyone, I'm Gorilla Monsoon for Update. Obviously everyone has embarrassing moments in their life. Well, Razor Ramon is no exception. His embarrassing moment came on national television before millions and millions of fans here in the World Wrestling Federation, he was defeated, pinned, if you will, right in the center of the ring on Monday Night Raw by the one, two, three kid. Now, if that wasn't embarrassing enough, Razor Ramon offered this youngster $10,000 to step back in the ring with Razor Ramon. A chance for Razor to once again regain face. What happened? Out the back door, the one, two, three kid ran with a 10 grand right in his pocket, or in his tights, if you will. To add more insult to injury, what happened? Million dollar man, Ted DiBiase, with that big mouth of his, comes up to Razor and says, Razor, as far as I'm concerned, your career is history. It's over. But don't panic, Razor. I've got a job for you. You can come in and be my houseboy. And to add more salt to the wound, Ted DiBiase said, I'm going to show you, Razor. I'm going to show you how to handle a nobody, that one, two, three kid. I'm going to show you how to put somebody like this away, trying to further embarrass Razor Ramon. Well, the whole thing may have backfired. As the match took place last week on WWF Wrestling Challenge, Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase did in fact meet the one, two, three kid. Let's take a look. Hey, wait a minute. Look, look who's coming down the aisle. Razor Ramon. Razor Ramon making his way to the ring. Man, this could be a, a volatile situation. This could be the end of the one, two, three kid. Oh, mommy, daddy, please come help me. They're going to tear me apart. Hip -hop. Please stop that. That could be the end of the Million Dollar Man. If Razor Ramon gets his hands on DiBiase, we'll oh, see Razor being beaten twice by the kid. Gives us all a black eye. What do you mean gives us all a black eye? Well, Razor is a friend of ours. Then he lets this kid beat him. I mean, he makes us all look bad. Well, DiBiase has dominated the one, two, three kid. And DiBiase is really rubbing it in. And a kid got a shot up. Folks, isn't it amazing how the one, two, three kid does it, how he always comes out on top? Well, Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, so wrapped up in himself that he literally got wrapped up by the one, two, three kid. Well, 
on the heels of all that comes this special announcement right here in the World Wrestling Federation at SummerSlam. Two more big matches have been added direct from the Gorilla Vine. It is official. Razor Ramon will get a chance to settle the score at SummerSlam with his nemesis, the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase, and the one, two, three kid, first time ever for him to be involved in SummerSlam, will take on Irwin R. Wow, what a match that's going to be. Right now, let's see what the million dollar mouth had to say to Razor Ramon, who said, you got beat. One, two, three. Never before in my life, Razor Ramon, have I been embarrassed and humiliated the way I was on national television. Not by that punk kid, the one, two, three kid. No, it wasn't him. I had that under control. It was you, Razor Ramon. You and your Mr. Machismo coming down and sticking your nose in my business. Well, I've had time now. The match is signed, it's sealed, and I've had time to formulate this plan. Formulate the way that I'm gonna make you pay. You think the $10,000 that kid took off of you was some money? That doesn't even scratch the surface of what it's gonna cost you for embarrassing me. Joining me right now, as you know, two men who have certainly had their differences over the past couple of weeks. One being Razor Ramon, the other million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. You know, Mr. DiBiase, it has been a very disastrous month for you, sir. Let me tell you something, Oakland. No, I got nothing to say to you. Let me tell you something, Mr. Machismo. You're gonna find out, like so many others have in the past, that when you crossed the million dollar man, you made the biggest mistake. You made a million dollar mistake when you crossed me, when you caused me embarrassment. I offered you a job. I offered you a job a man of your mentality could handle menial labor, but you would have been the most highest, you'd have been the highest paid servant in the country, yeah. but no. Yeah. Okay, if rich that's man. not bad enough, you put your hands on me, then you cause me humiliation and embarrassment by that punk kid, that one, two, three kid, you oh. know it. Yeah, well at SummerSlam, you're gonna find out who one, two, three is, brother. Oh. Ain't okay, me. rich man, here's some news for you, Chico. You offered a bad guy a job, as your servant. I've done a lot of work with my hands, man, but I do it for me. I don't work for you. And rich man, it's gonna happen at the palace and it's gonna be full of working men. Gentlemen, I thank you. See it on pay-per-view. Hello guys, it is the start of the wrestling week and I heartily welcome you to episode 59 of Acceptable in the 90s. We've got Native Americans, Jacked Up Patriots and Midgets Galore. But first we have a new entry for Big Meaty Cool's Craft Beer Review. And this has been taken from the Autumn Supermarket Core Northern Monk Bundle that I picked up on their website. This looks really promising. It's a chocolate fudge brownie stout. Now, I will admit to being a little bit of a Luddite when it comes to stouts. I know what I like, and it's more of those traditional Irish recipes. You know, your Guinnesses, your Brewdog Black Hearts, your Nitro Stouts, you know, no fuss, now put in really. But I do find sometimes when I've got a bit of a sweet tooth that these craft stouts really speak to me. And I do have a sweet tooth today, so that's what we're going for. Now it's 8.4% ABV, and I'm recording this first thing in the morning, so I do fear for my abilities to run a household after this, because that's a little bit too high for me. But it does look good, it promises to be gooey, sticky, rich and decadent. So it certainly looks decadent, it's very dark. Because of my waffling at the start of this episode, the head has already disappeared, but there's a little bit of the, you know, fluffy foam still there. It smells really, really chocolatey, you kind of get a little bit of caramel coming through there as well. So without further ado guys, let's let the BPMs take over our very souls, and I will give this a very satisfying quark. Yeah, I just needed to let that settle in a little bit to the old taste buds. 
that is really really good it's very rich the chocolate isn't quite as obvious when you're first having it down your neck but it certainly does come firing back there is almost a, a hint of a stickiness to it as well on the aftertaste that's really nice actually really rich um, a good quality pudding beer and we are going to be quite northern monk heavy for the next several weeks so do get used to some seasonal brews from one of the best companies out there but now it's time to get on down to 1993's sexiest theme as we go to the WWF Superstars Report. Taped on July the 6th, 1993 at the Wilkes University Mart Centre in Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania, the August 7th episode of WWF Superstars looked like this. Billy and Bartass, aka the Smoking Asses, defeated the debuting Well Done when the Asses pulverised Stephen Dunn with the Revolver Double Team Manoeuvre. The WWF update was played at the start of the show, as the tangled web involving the 123 Kid, Razor Ramon and Ted DiBiase got more intricate. Adam Bomb defeated Chaz Ware with the Atom Smasher Powerbomb. I also tacked on the face-to-face -face segment between Razor and DiBiase at the start of the episode. Doink defeated Joey Mags with the Whoopee Cushion Sit-Down Splash. El Matador defeated Barry Hardy with the El Paso Duel Merte. Bastian Bugger defeated Mike Bell with a sit-down splash. And we end with something called the Summer Slam Jam, which was actually Slam Jam if anybody remembers that. It's basically the WrestleMania song with more Bret Hart and Randy Savage and less Jim Duggan. The Razor and DiBiase feud is one that I'm really looking forward to as Razor starts to embrace the fans and we start to see the end of Ted DiBiase's first run in the WWF which is a great shame but if he's going to go off to Japan and have some bangers I'm all for that as well. We also got the latest SummerSlam report and the card is really starting to take shape. everyone, this SummerSlam report is brought to you by Chevrolet, the heartbeat of America, and tough Chevy trucks like a rock. We're just three weeks away from Detroit, Monday night, August 30th, at the Palace of Auburn Hills. Don't wait any longer. Plan now to join us for SummerSlam. Let's bring you up to date so there is no confusion in anyone's mind. Here is the card as it stands right now for SummerSlam. World Wrestling Federation Champion Yokozuna will defend that title against challenger Lex Luger. By the way, you won't want to miss this. This Monday night on Raw, Luger and Yokozuna will sign that official contract for their championship matchup. Royalty will be on the line at SummerSlam when the self-proclaimed king, Jerry Lawler, meets this young man. Let's hear from the king of the ring, Bret the Hitman Hart. You know, Jerry Lawler, you must really have underestimated the Hitman. I guess you haven't been keeping up with exactly what the Hitman can do. You went and jumped me after the King of the Ring tournament, and you beat me like a dog. And then there's my brother Owen. You know what you did to my brother Owen? I'll never, ever forget. But you know, the worst thing you could have done is drag my entire family in. That's something that really bugs me. That's a line that you should never have crossed so that I don't involve my family in my personal business. But you want to drag my family in? That's fine, because you've crossed the line, and I am going to take you in the SummerSlam. Just like the kings of old, I will execute you, and I will chop your head off. And that'll be the last anybody ever hears of Jerry Lawler. Not a happy Brett the Hitman heart. After what Lawler has done in the past, he'd better make a good showing or he's going to end up mopping up floors. What about this match? Intercontinental Champion Shawn Michaels with bodyguard Diesel in his corner, defending against the number one contender, Mr. Perfect. Let's get point counterpoint from both challenger and champion. SummerSlam, the battle of the two greatest Intercontinental Champions of all time. Well, Mr. Perfect, Shawn Michaels has got a little news for you. What was perfect in the past is not perfect in the 90s. And I am the wrestler of the 90s, the Heartbreak Kid, and we'll walk out the Intercontinental Champ. 
Shawn Michaels, you really think you're something, don't you? Walking through the World Wrestling Federation with Diesel, the bodyguard, by your side. You just remember this, Michaels. You're going to have to step into the ring with Mr. Perfect. And Shawn Michaels, you're going to find out why they call me Mr. Perfect and why I am the greatest athlete that WWF has ever produced. Mr. Perfect going for the 3 P. Hey, what about an R.I.P. match? Who will rest in peace? The Undertaker or the eight-foot-tall giant Gonzalez? We're going to find out at SummerSlam. Earlier in the hour, you heard the announcement of the matchup between the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase, and the remarkable Razor Ramon. And on the heels of that, you now also know this match had to happen. The one-two-three kid locking up with Erwin R. Scheister. Plus, I'm announcing for the very first time this SummerSlam bonus, a six-man tag with Native American Tataka teaming up with the Spoken Guns, Billy and Bart, to square off against Bam Bam Bigelow and the Head Shrinkers. From top to bottom, there's something for everyone. SummerSlam is truly a special WWF event. Plan to be part of the excitement Monday night, August 30th at 8 o'clock Eastern, Live from the Palace of Auburn Hills, see it exclusively on pay-per-view cable television. It's only three weeks away. Folks, don't miss SummerSlam. So we have another fun episode this week to start proceedings, and we halt them right now to take a gander at all the happenings on this day in history, on Monday, August the 9th, 1993. King Albert II of Belgium, the son of King Leopold III and the last living child of Queen Astrid, born a princess of Sweden, was crowned. On the 3rd of July 2013, King Albert II attended a midday session of the Belgian cabinet, where he announced that on the 21st of July, which is Belgian National Day, he would abdicate the throne for health reasons. This announcement came less than one month after the king and two of his children had been asked to appear in court by the Belgian sculptor Stephanie Bowl, who was intent on proving that the king was her biological father. American pop singer Lionel Richie divorced Brenda Harvey after nearly 18 years of marriage. In the pop charts, UB40 is still top in the US, but in the UK... Sometimes I feel I'm gonna break down and cry Nowhere to go, nothing to do with my time, I get lonely There's a new number one as the 1993 remix of Freddie Mercury's Living On My Own, originally released in 1986, jumped one place from the previous week. At the box office, Jurassic Park ruled the UK, but the US had a new favourite, as The Fugitive, starring Harrison Ford, broke Unforgiven's record for the highest weekend debut in the month of August, and Star Trek VI The Undiscovered Country's record for the highest weekend debut for a film based on a television show, with an opening weekend gross of 23,758,855 dollars. It stayed at number one for six weeks, the most in 1993. We are back at the Castle Recreation Centre in Alexandria Bay, New York for a pre-taped edition of WWF Monday Night Raw, taped on July the 25th, 1993 and broadcast on August the 9th 1993. In a dark match, the Rocket Owen Hart defeated WWF Intercontinental Champion Shawn Michaels by disqualification. Commentary is handled by Vince McMahon, the Macho Man Randy Savage and Bobby the Brain Heenan. Yes, sadly we are back to three men, so poor Bobby will not get a word in edgeways. The Lux Express continues to roll, continues to roll through the Midwest, out to Chicago, out to Comiskey Park. Lex Luger with a conversation with Tim Raines. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out to Monday Night Raw.
Express rolls into town. Rex Luger steps off, steps into this ring, and signs a contract for the World Wrestling Federation title matchup at SummerSlam. He and Yokozuna in this very ring. In addition to it, Tatanka meets Mr. Hughes. I think Tatanka, this is the last time you'll ever be on the warpath. His undefeated streak is going to end tonight. And what about it? The Macho Midget makes his debut last week, and he's back. Yeah, the Macho Midget is here, and his tag team partners are the Bushwhackers. It's going to be wild, oh yeah. A six-man tag team matchup, plus the first appearance of the Heavenly Bodies. Here we go. And yes, you heard, the Bushwhackers are back. Talk about scraping the barrel. In the meantime, though, match number one sees a few favourites of the show square off as the Native American Tatanka squares off with Mr. Hughes. Hughes attacks Tatanka from behind to start and then hammers away at him. Tatanka goes up for a leapfrog and Hughes clips Tatanka, then the two stare at each other as the announcers call out Hughes for not capitalising while Tatanka was down. Hughes now clubs away in the corner but misses a charge as Tatanka uses a roll-up for a two-count. We see another wreath for Hughes at ringside, then Hughes regains control after poking the eyes. Tatanka comes back with a crossbody, but after that runs into a clothesline. Hughes beats down Tatanka as we go to commercial, and the action returns with Hughes working a chin lock. Hughes misses a corner splash and in the process cracks his glasses against the post. Tatanka now fires up and hits several chops, but Hughes sidesteps a charge and sends Tatanka outside. Hughes' glasses are off completely now as he slams Tatanka on the floor. Hughes then charges after Tatanka for some reason and gets backdropped before Tatanka rolls inside and just beats the 10 count for the win in 4 minutes and 58 seconds. After the match, Whippleman distracts Tatanka so Hughes can attack from behind with the urn. Hughes then brings the wreath inside of the ring and throws it on top of Tatanka before celebrating by raising the urn. So the pacing of the match here was really good, but for whatever reason, Hughes was a little bit off the boil. Therefore, it's just as well that we bid farewell to him here, as Curtis Hughes was released a few weeks after this match. It will be interesting to see how the urn ends up back with The Undertaker now, but I guess that the urn will just transfer to Harvey Whippleman, who manages both Hughes and the giant Gonzalez. Now, I liked Mr Hughes, but he wasn't at his best for this run with the company, so it's a respectful goodbye from me. The finish was done to keep Tatanka's undefeated streak alive, but what exactly are the WWF doing with it? Nothing. So why bother? I chose football. Boy, I was gonna, I was gonna be, you know, you're 18 years old. You're full of confidence athletically, and boy, I was gonna make it in pro football and be an All Pro, like we all dream. We all have aspirations. I think aspirations are great, but I learned a very uh, hard lesson very quickly in Rissa, Miami, and I once again wanted to be accepted and, and make friends. I got them with the wrong crowd, I guess, the wrong group who I thought were the cool guys to hang out with and be with and spend time with. And I made a lot of mistakes. Uh, I paid for those mistakes. I ended up be, uh, getting in a lot of disciplinary problems at University of Miami. I was actually had to leave the team for disciplinary reasons. And boy, that was a time I think my it's part of growing up and maturing, but at, the, at that time, there I was, out of school, thought my life was falling apart before me, and that's the time when I really felt, for the first time, I had to be a man. Everybody has a lot of advice for you when uh, something like that happens, some good, some bad, but the overwhelming response was, don't try to make a professional football at that age. There's no turning back once you try out with a pro team and you just don't have the experience or the skill at this point in time to make it. And <laughs> if there's one thing about Alex Luger, if you tell him he can't do something, then that's exactly what I'm gonna try to go do and do everything within my power to make it happen. I like to try to turn negative always into a positive. And I use that negativity as a motivational tool. And I went up to the Canadian Football League and uh, at age 19, I made the team, ended up starting in the Grey Cup, which is their equivalent to the Super Bowl my rookie year, and it was a, a tremendous thrill. Yeah, I ended up playing three years in the Canadian Football League. I uh, ended up playing two more years in the National Football League with Green Bay, and then the USFL form, so never one to, uh, to stay in one place. I ended up uh, playing two more years in the United States Football League, be able to go back home to Florida, where uh, I played my college ball, and at the same time, 
uh, the disappointment my parents had in me having left Miami for disciplinary reasons, uh, I felt obligation due to the way I was brought up to go ahead and finish school in the off seasons, which is what I did. And at that point then, I had another big decision to make because I always wanted to use football as a stepping stone. I never wanted to use it, have football use me. You know, I played for, I said I'd play for five years and get out. And here I was at the seven year mark. And then once again, I'm at a decision point of my career. I played two years longer than I planned on playing. Well, my parents, of course, had hoped and prayed that I'd finally get a real job, so to speak. And uh, I was lined up to go to Stetson down in Florida and go to graduate school to become an attorney. And lo and behold, not me, uh, I had to end up walking in. I, right then, WrestleMania it hit the airwaves and the sound waves in a big way. Everybody said, God, Lex, you'd be great for something like that. And uh, I walked into the office at Championship Wrestling in Florida, which at the time had been a real training ground for a lot of new wrestlers who wanted to uh, become wrestlers at the time. And three months later, I was in the ring wrestling. <laughs> this week, Lex waxes lyrical about his football career and how his mistakes there led him to wrestling, having gone to Florida to study law, but ending up training to wrestle instead. This interview is a lot more relatable than last week's, I'll give it that. We next get a match that has probably shite written all over it, as the macho midget returns to team with the Bushwhackers to take on Little Louie, the Brooklyn Brawler and Blake Beverly. Vince guffaws like a buffoon to the Macho Midget's dance moves. We then learn that the Bushwhackers versus the Quebecers will take place this coming Sunday on All-American Wrestling. I wish it was on Raw. Anyway, Blake misses a charge in the corner and then Luke bites him in the arse. The match breaks down with the faces all biting their opponents in the arse until they clear the ring. Bushwhackers and Macho Midget march around the ring and then it settles down with Louie beating on the Macho Midget. Louis keeps running the ropes after getting outsmarted by Macho Midget and gets hit with a dropkick. Butch tags and bulldogs Blake and then avoids Brawler breaking it up with an elbow drop and uses a double noggin knocker. We get more comedy and then the Midgets fight over a test of strength as Heenan cracks jokes. Butch and Lawler are in now as Butch runs wild and then the Bushwhackers hit Brawler with a double DDT and after that place Macho Midget on top and he hits a splash for the win in 6 minutes and 30 seconds. Brawler then runs into a double clothesline after trying to chase around the Macho Midget. So the crowd loved this, but there's no accounting for taste, as this was grade Z shite. The Macho Midget was a one-week thing at best. Stick this crap on house shows where it belongs. Would you please welcome the reigning World Wrestling Federation Champion, here is Yokozuna! Take a look at the size of Yokozuna! Well, Fuji said he weighed 568 pounds that afternoon on the Intrepid. But I believe he's closer to maybe 575, maybe 600. Dignity, how he carries the belt. Wait a minute, what's going on here? What is that? That's Jim Cornette. I told you, he's going to set the WWF on fire. He's full of surprises. What is the meaning of this? Pardon me, what are you doing here? because he is the manager of the champion. I run it. What's he doing here? Yokozuna and myself have officially hired American spokesman, Mr. Jim Cornette. Wait a minute, let me understand. You're the official spokesperson for Yokozuna? Let me just explain one thing to all you people. You see, the people of Japan are the, are the leaders worldwide when it comes to industry, finance, commerce. They work harder, they're honest, they're diligent, and they mean everything they say. They are, without doubt, the most honest people on the planet. However, Mr. Fuji and Yokozuna... Listen to that! They got the rhythm. Mr. Fuji and Yokozuna... 
information. So now I'm the official spokesperson. I'm the official English, English language interpreter. And brother, there ain't a word of English that you can run by me that I can't dissect and shoot right back at you. And I'm gonna take a look at that contract before anything gets signed around here because Mr. Fuji has instructed me to look it over and make sure there's no irregularities like Jack Tunney has been noted for in the past. Could we? Uh-huh. Okay. That's it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> hey, wait, hold on. It's in there. Okay. I think that's about that. Wait a minute. Is that in pencil? What? No. Okay. That's all right. That is the contract that Mr. Fuji has approved that I have interpreted for him to sign for Yokozuna so everything can proceed. Just chat amongst yourselves. We got some business to attend to here. Don't worry. I'll get you through this, kid. All right, ladies and gentlemen, with that in mind, would you please welcome right now the man who slammed Yokozuna on America's birthday on the USS Intrepid. Would you please welcome the man who is crisscrossing this great country of ours on the Lex Express, the Lex Luger Call to Action campaign. Would you please welcome the man SummerSlam to face Yokozuna. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Lex Gentlemen, if you would please be seated. Mr. Luger, Mr. Yoko Zuna. Mr. Tony, if you would proceed. Yoko Zuna, if you'll please sign the official contract affirming your participation in the title match at SummerSlam. with the fine print, because you can fine print me 
and all these people are here to death, and it doesn't matter. You want a stipulation of a forearm pad? Well, that's fine with me. All I asked for was one shot, one opportunity, in this great country of ours, that's what opportunity is all about. I won't need more than one shot. You can count on that. And I'm gonna keep on taking the Lex Express from one coast to the other. I've already met thousands of people who have supported me. That's why I'm standing here right now with a contract in my hand. in that plane back in Tokyo without the belt that you can think about that's going to be ringing in your ears and it begins with a U it ends with an A it has a middle initial of that and I want you to let them hear it right So, as well as managing the heavenly bodies, Jim Cornette will be acting as Yokozuna's American mouthpiece. That's great to hear, as Mr Fuji is horrid. Lex Luger's title shot is also going to be a one-time only thing too, so we better make it count. But Luger is still not convincing in the babyface role. Next up, the bad guy turned good guy, Razor Ramon, takes on Dan DeBeal. Razor is sporting an American wristband as Savage says it's in support of Luger to further cement that Razor has turned face. Razor beats on DeBeal and then hits a fallaway slam. Heenan puts over Razor being the guest on the King's Court for wrestling challenge as Razor hits a super belly-to-back suplex before getting the win with the Razor's Edge in 2 minutes and 9 seconds. Razor was getting too many cheers to not turn babyface, but it doesn't mean he has to be a glad-handing, smiling one. But if it means he features on TV more, let's have it. Good evening, America. This SummerSlam report brought to you by Chevrolet and tough Chevy trucks. Tough like a rock. Only three weeks from tonight at the Palace of Auburn Hills, just outside of Detroit, it's SummerSlam. Monday, August 30th at 8 Eastern. And if you can't join us in the Motor City, contact the cable company you're watching right now and plan to join us live on pay-per-view. That main event is sure starting to look different. Just in the last half hour alone, we've learned that James E. Cornette has become the official American spokesman for Yokozuna. And during the contract signing, Cornette's business acumen became apparent with the stipulation that Lex Luger would only get this one shot at the World Wrestling Federation champion. This, of course, adding to the excitement of this summer spectacular. The king of the ring, Bret Hart, beats the self-proclaimed king, Jerry Lawler. This thing has gotten personal, if for no other reason than Lawler verbally insulting Bret Hart's mom and dad right here on Monday Night Raw a couple of weeks ago. In the rest in peace match, The Undertaker, oh my, is going to be meeting the eight-foot-tall giant Gonzalez. And here's one that could be the greatest intercontinental title match ever. Champion Shawn Michaels with bodyguard Diesel in his corner meets two-time former intercontinental champion Mr. Perfect. Can Perfect make it a three-peat? This and, of course, the other great matches you heard about right here on Monday Night Raw. And remember, ladies and gentlemen, it's only three weeks from tonight. If you can't join us in Detroit, Contact the cable company you're watching right now regarding pay-per-view availability. And then get ready one way or another to join us Monday night, August 30th for SummerSlam. Hey Vince, do I hear a little commotion? What's going on? Back to you. Always commotion here with the heavenly bodies. Take a look at it. Hey, get that camera out of my business. If you want to know what the heavenly bodies are about, then you just stay tuned because after this break, they're going to show you in person.
Now get out of here. We'll be back with the Heavenly Bodies on Monday Night Raw. Our main event sees one of my favourite teams of the 90s debut on the flagship show as the Doctor of Style Tom Pritchard and Gigolo Jimmy Del Rey, a.k.a. Smoky Mountain Wrestling's sexiest tag team, face the duo of Bobby Who and Mike Bucci. In a surreal moment, Vince talks about Cornette having problems with the Armstrong family in West Virginia this past Saturday night. Mike Bucci is the future Nova and Simon Dean, who later becomes an office employee for WWE. Pritchard grounds Who and then works the arm. Del Rey uses a blind tag and super kicks Who from behind, then Pritchard hits a DDT. Del Rey drags Who into the corner as Bucci is in now and gets chopped against the ropes. Del Rey then hits a flirt over DDT before a side slam knee drop combo from the bodies. We get a double suplex after a slip up by Bucci, then Pritchard holds Bucci up and lets go as Del Rey comes off the top with a moonsault block and gets the win in 2 minutes and 37 seconds. After the match, Cornette grabs the mic. consideration paid for by the following new wwf figures give you the power of hulkamania the knockout prince of virgil the audacity of irs and the madness of the macho man collect new wwf figures now Sold separately dig it brace yourself for an event of epic proportions hacksaw jim duggan battles wwf champion yokozuna a rematch of their first and brutal encounter Tag team champions, the Snyder Brothers, take on Money Incorporated. A war inside a steel cage for the title. Before the showdown in Motown comes the SummerSlam Spectacular. Sunday night, August 22nd on USA. We will all look forward to the SummerSlam special right here on USA. Sunday night, August the 22nd with an 8 p.m. kickoff. What about the matchup? Hacksaw Jim Duggan scoring off against Yokozuna. The title is not up for grabs but certainly the pride of America and the pride of Duggan is. Absolutely, and Hacksaw Jim wear them out for Lex Luger, dig it. And then the title will be up for grabs as Money Incorporated gets it on with the tag team champion Steiners in a steel cage. Well, you're gonna see Steiners flying out. You're gonna see Steiners hitting the ceilings. You're gonna see Steiners all over the place, but you're gonna see new WWF tag team champion, Money And if you think that's gonna be good for SummerSlam at the SummerSlam special, what about next week right here? We'll have a special interview with the eight-foot-tall giant Gonzalez, the man who faces The Undertaker at SummerSlam. And he'll be here, Ludwig Borga. In action, men on a mission. Owner tries to meet El Matador and the rematch. The one, two, three kid against the million-dollar man. All that and a great deal more will happen right here on Monday Night Raw. And now we go to my final thoughts. Ladies and gentlemen, Raw's streak of good shows going all the way back to May the 1st has ended. The action on the show was either poor, boring or corny and the number one contenders to the WWF World Tag Team titles didn't exactly look like world beaters. The contract signing was okay but nothing was really must see. And I wouldn't mind but last week's roster was still in the building so there was a potential for far better matches. However, there is a lot of promise next week, especially the big rematch between the 1-2-3 Kid and Ted DiBiase. And let's face it, it certainly couldn't get much worse.
Guys, I am forgoing the awards this week because everything was really just there. But we have just about enough time to talk about what went down on WCW Saturday night. The August 7th edition of the show was the first of the Disney MGM tapings from July 1993. Eric Bischoff wanted to move away from the dated Southern Arena style for a modern, brighter feel, which really shows on this taping. It also wouldn't hurt that he was saving an absolute ton of money. The fans weren't that bad either, considering that they were probably just looking for some free air conditioning, so they obviously must have had them very, very well coached. This episode had the WCW Worldwide setup instead though, so it was probably part of those tapings. Now the Disney schedule isn't going to be without its problems in the long run, and we will get to that as and when they come up, but it started well at least. In action from the show, Tony Schiavone creates a whole new octave over the start of the Disney era. Jesse Ventura looks like he couldn't give a shiny shite about the Disney era, as the Disney-tron behind them shows Rick Rude and the Equalizer looking pensive. In our first contest, Sting defeated Bill Payne by the Scorpion Deathlock, as commentary talk about Sting's upcoming match with Awesome Kong. Not that one. Bill Payne looks like Brutus Creed if he wished he could look more like Lionel Richie. Tony and Jesse discuss the round-robin feud between the Cold Twins, the Texicans and Benoit and Eaton. Well, Tony discusses it anyway. Like I say, Jesse looks like he couldn't be asked with any of this stuff. Bobby Eaton and Chris Benoit defeated Tex Lazinger and Shanghai Pierce when Eaton applied a neckbreaker on Shanghai. The fans seem to give Pierce and Slazinger all the support here, which means one of two things. Either WCW were trying to turn the Texicans' face and influence the crowd to cheer, or a group of mostly non-wrestling fans hadn't been clued up to the fact that both teams were heels. My highlight of this match is that there's a lad who couldn't be any older than 15, dancing to Benoit and Eaton's theme, who looks exactly like Rick James. Worcester's hardest man Yoshi Kwon defeated Marcus Alexander Bagwell via nerve hold submission. He's now managed by Harley Race, with no explanation whatsoever, who continues to bait Cactus Jack post-match. And Yoshi Kwon's Ning Ning Chopstick music has been changed to the Ning Ning Chopstick music that every legitimate Japanese wrestler in WCW would use for the remaining time the company had left. I have to say it as well, Yoshi Kwon looks like a pantomime villain version of Damien Priest. See for yourself, Google it. Dustin Rhodes continues to infuriate Rude in the Equaliser with stupid bloody clues about who his mystery partner will be at the Clash. Apparently it's one of two men who were six-man champions with Dusty, but says it won't be Mulligan and Murdoch, and the man will be doomed for Rude and the Equaliser. Oh, I do hope it's Wildfire Tommy Rich. Rick Rude and the Equaliser defeated Warren Quinn and Leroy Harrod with the Rude Awakening. The Equaliser is bloody rubbish, but this meaner, intense version of Rick Rude is wonderful. Too Cold Scorpio defeated Mercenary Number 2 with the 450 Splash. And in our main event, Paul Orndorff and Max Payne defeated Ricky Steamboat and Johnny B. Bad via disqualification, when Bad intercepts a foreign object from Orndorff and hits Payne with it, prompting the heels to do a totally justified look how smart we are pose. And we ended the show with comments from the Horsemen regarding the upcoming Clash of the Champions, which you can hear at the end of the episode. So, as an episode of Saturday Night, especially comparing it to the previous weeks, this looked better, but played like the company realised they were an episode short and so tacked this together from offcuts from Worldwide. There is some progression towards the upcoming Clash, but again, nothing from an in-ring perspective is must-see enough to make anyone think that week one of the Disney era was a good move. Plus, WCW have now lost one of the biggest things that would keep people watching on a Saturday. Their incredible crowd. If you need to train a bunch of tourists what to chant, cheer or boo for, that's going to transmit poorly to the viewer at home. You know, the actual wrestling fan. Now, I'm sure that there were actual wrestling fans here, but they must be in the minority now. Well guys, that is your lot for another week, so I will bid you adieu. However, in the meantime and in between time, stay beefy, meat ciders! A 
Okay, Jess, and what a night it will be as Paul Longdorf defends the World TV belt against Ricky Steamboat, and then it's Mask versus Norma Jean between Johnny B. Bad and Max Payne. But right now, let's bring out members of the Horsemen who are with us here on Saturday night. The Nature Boy, Ric Flair. The man who is the NWA champion for the 10th time, who have a very special flair for the gold, and these two men who will be going after the World Tag Team title champ. Well, it goes like this. I know for a fact, and I beg my money, a double A pretty Paul. As for me, I'll have a special guest on the greatest flair for the gold of all time, the Clash Live with a special guest. All right, and what about it against the Hollywood Blondes World Tag Title, gentlemen? Let me tell you something, Blondes. We're coming with one purpose in mind and one purpose only, and that's to take the championship belts. The time has come to quit talking a big fight. The time for insults is over. Now you gotta understand, Paul Roma and myself from bell to bell are gonna take care of what has been overdue. The belts, it's time to come home to the horsemen. I don't guarantee anything in this sport, but this time I'm guaranteeing it. The only way we're not gonna be champions is if you kill us dead. Woo! We'll see you from the Disney MGM Studios in Orlando.